Please be seated. Good morning. We'll see if I need to put my sunglasses on. I'm going to try not initially. Uh, this is called me squinting. Hopefully I can see my notes. Hey everybody. It might, uh, it might be too dark then. We'll see what happens. It's all good. Thank you. Appreciate any coaching you can give me because I'm hoping my notes won't blow away too. So we're all good. It is so good to be with you. Some of you were with us last week and you know that uh, we began by talking last week and, and we're going to kind of conclude a quick series on what does it mean to be God's household? What does it mean to be God's household? Last, last week we looked at that metaphor and I'm going to do just a very quick review in case you weren't able to be with us or, or listen to the message from last week. I love this metaphor of the church as God's household because it, it combines two things, two very important things. Number one, we are family. We are family. We're not just a club. We're not just an organization. We are family. That's so important. And the idea of household also brings to mind this piece of gathering together or being part of the same gathering, the same dwelling place. Some of you like me that are a little bit older maybe can remember people when they get married, somebody would often say or someone would say something like this, oh, they're going to establish their household, right? And when you think about that phrase, what it means is they're not just going to live in the same place. They're going to build all kinds of wonderful memories and all kinds of beautiful experiences together in that household. And so I love the fact that God uses this metaphor, this beautiful illustration of a household. So what I shared with you last week from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, are what I refer to as household values. I'm a big one on life is not just about rules. <laughs> life is about values. Life is so much about at the end of the day, here's what we embrace. Here's what we value. Here's what we want to embody in our lives. And I believe that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 to 16 gave us three very key values. This has been really helpful to me to think through and to share with you last week. Let me, let me just um, give you a quick summary. Number one is that God dwells among us. The value that we are in the presence of God always. And the fact that we are in his presence and he dwells among us has such important implications to how I live my lives. Even the secret part of my life, even the part of my life that nobody else sees but him. God dwells among us. Number two, truth directs everything we do. And by truth, first and foremost, we mean God's word, the Bible, the scriptures. That's what gives us direction for everything but also being truthful, being honest in our speech. And then the third value I talked about is the gospel. And it is the gospel that defines our identity. Sadly, there are way too many churches, denominations over the centuries that have been defined by things other than the gospel. But that is the main thing. That's what God says should define us. So what I wanted to do this morning is go to one other place where this term God's household appears because it gives us some other really helpful insight, I believe, 
on how we are to live as God's people. So I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bible here with us or those at home, Ephesians chapter 2 at home, I think it'll be on the screen as well. And we're, we're just going to look at, again, a handful of verses, about four verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. That's our text for this morning. So here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What an incredible passage. This passage is so beautiful. Here's what I want you to understand because there's important context to Ephesians chapter 2 before we get to verse 19. And the context is that Paul is talking about there are no longer spiritually Jews or Gentiles. We are all one through Christ. The believers in Ephesus were Gentiles. And those who were coming to Christ uh, needed to understand and Paul wanted to make it crystal clear to them that there were not second-class citizens in God's kingdom. Not at all. And yes, the nation of Israel had been God's special people, God's chosen people. But what Paul makes so clear here in Ephesians 2 and in Galatians and some other of his writings is that we're all one in Christ. We're all the same in Christ. Now, it's really important to understand that the Gentiles did not have to become Jews before they could become Christians. Some of you that are familiar with Acts chapter 15, it's referred to as the Jerusalem Council. Know that that's what that whole discussion was about. That was such a pivotal time in the history of the early church because there were Jews who said, you must be circumcised, then believe in Jesus, then you're a believer. And that was uh, very effectively and profoundly denied as the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, period. Faith in Jesus. So you don't have to become a Jew. On the other hand, here's something very important to understand too, my friends, and that is God did not eliminate the nation of Israel either. He didn't. And even though we are all one called the church now, God has special plans for Israel sometime in the future. He does. Jews who put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are part of his church. Gentiles who put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are part of his church, period. And so that's the point that the Apostle Paul is wanting to make crystal clear because he then talks about, he uses two terms or two roles. He talks about the fact that we are all now citizens together that means we have status. That means we have position. That means we have rights. But he goes on to say, but we're also household members together. We are members of God's household. And then I believe the next three verses that Paul shares with us 
are what does it mean to be part of the household? Now, one thing, this would be a term that will be familiar to most of you. One term that, uh, that and this is what I'm going to use to kind of identify five, I'm calling them affirmations. Things that we affirm. Some of you are part of organizations and clubs and groups, and they ask you to affirm certain truths, right? I affirm this. And so what I see in these next verses, 20 to 22, are affirmations. If I am a member of God's household, I declare, I affirm this to be right, this to be true. It's almost like the idea of a, of a creed or a pledge, okay? So that's what I want us to see together. This has been very powerful to me as I have, have studied this. So let's look first of all at um, that first part of verse 20. So what we see in verse 20, the first part, verse 20a, is that God's household was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Super important. God's household, God's church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, many scholars totally agree with them. Many scholars would equate this phrase, the apostles and prophets, to the scriptures, okay? The truth of God's word. The primary ministry of the apostles, as stated in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, was to give their attention to prayer and what? The ministry of the word. That was a huge part of the apostles' role in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the church, quote, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay? So what I want you to, to understand with me as we are talking about this first piece or this first part of the affirmation of being part of the household is the purpose of the prophetic ministry was to declare the word of God. The church was built on the whole foundation of the teaching of the apostles and the words of the prophets. And some of the prophets were the writers of New Testament scripture, okay? And so I think that's very important. So here's our first affirmation. We would say, we affirm the scriptures are the foundation of the household. The scriptures are the foundation of the household. And we affirm that. Okay, the passage goes on, second part of verse 20 says, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Oh, this is so, this is so rich. This is so beautiful. There's another place in the New Testament where Jesus is called the cornerstone. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. This is Peter speaking, Acts 4, verses 10 to 12. And Peter says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by man by which we must be saved. Jesus was rejected by the nation of Israel, wasn't he? But he became the cornerstone of the church. So let me give you my, our second affirmation as God's household. 
The standard of the church is the person of Jesus Christ. The standard of the church is the person of Jesus Christ. Let me share with you what one scholar wrote about this idea of Jesus as the chief cornerstone and what the chief cornerstone was. In ancient practices, the chief cornerstone was carefully placed. It was crucial because the entire building was lined up with the chief cornerstone. The church's foundation, that is the apostles of the prophets, needed to be correctly aligned with Christ. Makes sense, doesn't it? So let me give you another critical thought. The apostles and prophets as a foundation did not replace Jesus, okay? They fitted into him. He remains the standard. He remains the head of the church. He remains the Lord of the church. The scriptures do not supersede the person of Jesus Christ at all. They tell of him. They declare him. They share with us who he is. And so that's important to understand. Jesus holds the honored place in the household. The apostles and prophets didn't replace him. They were aligned and joined to him. Okay? So we affirm Jesus, I'm calling him the standard. That means he is the head of the church. Now let's go on into verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together. The whole building is joined together. Okay, I want you to think with me for a moment about a puzzle. Some of you are really into puzzles. And I know a lot of people do puzzles during the holidays. You know, we're going to have this big table and we have a puzzle that has 500 pieces, 1,000 pieces. I don't even know how many pieces a puzzle can have. And so you open the box and what do you do? You dump the pieces out on the table, right? And hopefully all the pieces are there. Because it is unbelievably frustrating to be missing a piece or two, isn't it, of a puzzle. Okay, so he uses this term fitted together. And I think this is so key to understand when it comes to the church. Because you know what? There are a lot of churches that have the pieces in place. They have the gifted people, the talented people, the people who are willing to serve, the people who are even willing to use their talents, but they are not fitted together. You know, you look at a puzzle piece, and in one sense, it's kind of an individual piece, but it really has no value and no distinction until it is fitted together with the other pieces, right? And that's so much this picture of the church as a household needing to be joined or fitted together. It sounds a lot like the analogy that Paul talks about, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, about the body. That's another metaphor of the church. We have a body and we are all different members of the body. Some of us are feet and some of us are noses and some of us are fingers and whatever it might be. And so that's his picture here. And I think what so strikes me about this is that the pieces have to be joined or fitted together. The church was not designed for us to live independently of one another. It was not at all. And so it's very, very important that the church shares in community. It's very, very important that we are all engaged and part of the body of Christ and connected. And yes, we need to use our gifts and yes, we need to serve, but you know what? We also just need each other. So let me give you my third affirmation. And that is the structure 
is the unified church. Okay, so far I'm keeping my notes on my stand. It's all good. Thank you. Let me give you number number three again. We affirm that the structure keyword is a unified church, a unified church, a church that is fitted together. Let me talk about unity for a moment. The theme of unity in the body of Christ is all over the New Testament. And, and I would especially, if you would like to study unity in the church, look at, look at the book of Philippians. Key, key truth in that book. It's about unity. Now, I think often when we talk about biblical unity, we only think about what I call relational unity. Yeah, we're unified. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, as long as we all get along and we're not fighting, it's all good. Okay, is that important? That we get along and we're not fighting? Yeah, I think that's a good piece of unity. But that is not a complete picture of biblical unity, my friends. Let me talk about a couple other things. There's something we call missional unity. Here's what I mean by that. We are all pursuing a united purpose together. We are all headed in the same direction. Have you ever been part of the church where people are not headed in the same direction? Where people are not unified on what God has called us together to do? It's not a good thing. So we need unity in terms of our mission, our purpose. There's functional unity, I call it. That is, we're all engaged, we're all serving, we're all using our spiritual gifts. We all understand our role in the body, and that's not just to sit and do nothing, my friends. That's to be engaged, okay? So here's my point. My point is the structure of the church is that we are one. We are unified. And it's as important as it is as we get, we get along with each other, it's so much more than that. And that, my dear friends and brothers and sisters, is why it's so critical that we experience wonderful community. So my third affirmation, we affirm that the structure of the church is unity, that we are unified. Okay? I'm going to keep going, and we're going to look at verse 21. The second part of verse 21 says this, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. This is really quite mind-blowing. It is. Paul writes in another place, listen to this. Paul writes in another place, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, about us being the temple of the living God. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. The Greek word from the Hebrew word temple is the word for the inner sanctuary. Where God's presence dwelled. You may know this phrase the Holy of Holies. We are God's Holy of Holies. That's who we are as his church. Now, you know what comes to my mind 
when I hear the word, and, and this is my, let me give you my fourth affirmation. Um, affirmation number four is this. We affirm that God's sanctuary is his redeemed people. God's sanctuary is his redeemed people. That's us. When I hear the word sanctuary, when I read the word temple, when I've tried to understand kind of the original meaning of the idea of the temple in the Old Testament, and now that we are the Holy of Holies, the word that comes to mind is holy. Holy. Holiness in the lives of God's people is a big deal to him. You know, in our day and age, we often in the church, we talk about words like being relevant. That's fine. Being authentic. That's fine. How about be holy? How about be holy? This idea of being holy, this phrase, be holy for I am holy, appears in multiple places in scripture. The first time it appeared was Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 2. And God said, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And my friends, we are told to be that. And I just wonder how often we think about that. Am I a holy person? I mean, that's such a, that's such a religious term. That feels to some like such an outdated term. It isn't. It's very biblical. We are to pursue holiness in our lives. And I know we need grace, and I know we blow it, and I know we still have our sin nature, and I know we're tempted. I know those things. That is certainly my life as well. But God says, be holy, because my church is my temple. My church is my temple. And let's let the Lord let that seep in this week, okay? Am I holy in my actions? Am I pursuing holiness in my words? Am I even pursuing holiness in my thoughts? We are a sanctuary. Unbelievable. Incredible. Okay, now I want you to look at verse 22. This is kind of our last verse in this, in this wonderful passage. Verse 22 says this, And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here's my affirmation number five. We affirm that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in this household, in our household. We affirm that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in this household. Let me ask you a few questions. Do we pray for the moving of the Spirit in our midst? Do we anticipate the promptings of the Spirit individually and collectively? I don't know about you, true confession for me, uh, I tend to be a person who wants to think through and have plans and be logical and be analytical and all of those types of things. And sometimes I don't leave room for, even saying that sounds so wrong, the spirit to speak to me. 
I want to listen to the Spirit. I want to be sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. And one of the affirmations is we will listen for the Spirit. We will ask the Spirit to move. You know, sometimes we're very afraid to do that. Because is it the Spirit is my emotions? Is it the Spirit is my, is it my opinion? Yeah, those are things we need to be very cautious of. But don't you think if we pray, Holy Spirit, we want to listen. We want to be led by you. We want to be moved by you. We want to walk in obedience to you. That he will respond. Like me, some of you maybe have, have grown up in traditions or for years been in churches where we're a whole lot about the word. Amen. That's a good thing. But we're not much about the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, he's part of the... He's part of the Godhead, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to be a church that is truly sensitive to the leading of the Spirit? My friends, that's something I'm continuing to grow in and want so desperately to learn because I really believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active and vibrant and can do things that are so beyond our ability and so beyond our comprehension. And so, number five, we affirm that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. And I pray that that's who we are as, as Mission Point Church and who we are as individuals. So those are my five affirmations, you know. We looked at our values. We looked at the things we want to affirm about being part of the household. And I felt it was so appropriate when Kondo asked me, I was so grateful that he said, hey, it'd be great for you to share a few thoughts for a few weeks on Sunday. Uh, when we get back together, I was so grateful because this idea to me over the weeks has been stirring. Uh, I can barely listen to the news and not just constantly be reminded God's people need to be the church. I just keep thinking that over and over. And the solution to healing, the solution to life, the solution to seeing God move in a great way is for God's people to get serious with Jesus and to be the church. And he does not want us to do that alone. He wants us to do that together. And that's why this, this whole beautiful metaphor of the household, I love the fact that we're family. And you know what? Is this true in your own family? Do you love everything about your family members? Do they love everything about you? I guarantee they don't. Are you hard to get along with? Probably. I can be too. Are you opinionated? Maybe. I am. You know, I'm not the easiest person to get along with, but I'm glad there are people who call me family and they love me and they're not giving up on me and they're not kicking me out of the family. I'm so grateful for that. And that's what we need from each other because all of us have issues. All of us have our struggles, but we are family. In fact, we're a household. It's not just we're family members scattered all over the world. We're a household. And God wants to build his household in the most beautiful way, I believe, here at Mission Point. I do. I am so thrilled to get to be a part of this church family. So let's affirm, and affirm doesn't just mean declare, it means live out, live out these affirmations.